Greetings in the worthy name of Jesus. It's good to be here at Waterworks this morning. Welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. And for a message this morning, let's turn to the book of Hosea. I'd like to uh, bring a message this morning from the book of Hosea. And the title is a, uh, a story of God's unrelenting love. It is a illustration of God's love here that we see in Hosea. Hosea is uh, the first of the 12 prophets uh, that's, in the, that's mentioned of the 12 prophets, or that's listed in our Bible, as uh, at their end, right before their uh, the captivity, and Hosea was preaching along with Amos, but he would have been like the last call to repent to the northern kingdom. So Amos and Hosea would have preached at the same time. Actually, uh, if we go to chapter 1 in Hosea, uh, chapter 1, the verse 1, uh, we get a lot of introduction right out of the first verses of the Minor Prophets. It says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of, and here he mentions the kings. It gives us our timeline. The days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, those who have been kings of the Judah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So there we have the kings mentioned, the four um, from the southern kingdom and the one from the northern kingdom. That would be Jeroboam the second that he's mentioning there. And if you if you look at the kings, that spans about a 50-year time span. So. Uh, king Jeroboam would have reigned about 41 years, so it was a sort of a long period of time. So Hosea's prophecy was over uh, his lifetime, really. <clears throat> and during Jeroboam's time as king, it could be characterized as a time of peace, a time of uh, prosperity. They were expanding their borders. And there was a lot of affluence, and it, this led to complacency and, and uh, spiritual decline. Now, Amos, I'll be quoting some from him. Amos would have been preaching at the same time, and he says, you know, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. So that's sort of the, the, uh, the setting, the spiritual apostasy that was there. I believe Amos talks about, you know, the priests were unholy, the kings were wicked, and all the people were wicked. It was a time of... Uh, uh, no law and order. And let's turn back a couple pages to Hosea chapter 4. And here we get a picture of this setting of what it was like in Israel at this time. In chapter 4, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. So there's the, a, a picture of the, the setting. Uh, the, no truth, no mercy. Uh, they were, they, uh, there was a lack of knowledge in the land. We see that in verse 6. In chapter 4 there, in verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee, that thou be no, that thou be no, not, be not priest to me. Neither, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So here we can see that people were there was a lack of knowledge of the of God in the land. 
They weren't instructed in the things of the Lord. They, uh, there was a lack of uh, a familiar verse there that we talk about. They, the people, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, this wasn't a lack of uh, education. This wasn't a lack of, uh, of uh, schools and that sorts, but it was a lack of, of uh, the knowledge of God. They, they, there was no hearing the word, so there was no doing of the word. And Amos would have talked about there's a famine in the land, like a spiritual famine. And a couple chapters back in, in Hosea, it says, I have write, I've written to them the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. So I can imagine the people here, they were that far from God that they would hear the laws of God and they would say they were strange. So this is the setting. Of course, along with this was uh, this prosperity and this setting was, was the, the height of Baal worship. And prophet after prophet came out against the Baal worship, the pagan worship. It, along with it, it was included all kinds of immorality. And, and, and there was all kinds of injustices. And Amos really, really came on down hard on all the injustices. So if you look at the prophets combined, they, just, they, they spoke about the uh, idolatry, the Baal worship that was prevalent, and the immorality that was prevalent in that day, uh, and also the injustices, how the people injured one another. And I believe those things were very important to God back in that day, and they're very important to God today. Idolatry, the way they, people insulted God, immorality is the way they indulged themselves, uh, and the injustices is the way they injured one another. God is very interested in those things as well today. Now it's interesting, with this Baal worship, you know, they didn't throw out the worship of Jehovah. They just added the pagan worship with it. They didn't deny God, they just forsook him. And as Micah said, they even had the audacity to say, is not the Lord among us? No evil can come upon us. They thought they were the children of God and there's nothing that could happen because of that. Well, that uh, things, we, we do see that God did bring judgment because they didn't turn, return to him. So we look at co uh, uh, comparing Amos and Hosea would have been preaching at the same time, but Amos was a very prophet kind of guy, very out front, said it like it was. And uh, Hosea, I believe, was a little different. He was a mercy kind of guy and uh, tenderness. We see, you know, God's balance in sending the two preachers to the northern kingdom as the last messages. But God gave a message to Hosea to show to the people for Israel to see. So we're going to see in Hosea how, how he demonstrated God's feelings. You know, prophets were foretell, uh, foretelling and forthtelling, and they also demonstrated messages. So when, they, when you think of a prophet uh, foretelling, making predictions, the Bible calls them seers. They would see into the future. And also they were forthtelling. They would tell something that was told before. And that's uh, what many of the prophets did, both of them. But also prophets, uh, especially Hosea, Ezekiel, they demonstrated a message. And that's what we see in Hosea. He demonstrated the people weren't listening anymore. So he, God gave him a message that they could see. And that's what we see. You know, they would look at, 
in Hosea, they would look at Hosea and they'd scratch their head and say, you know, that's the guy that married a prostitute. And they would, they, they, and, and then he goes and buys her back. You know, that, that guy's weird. They, there was a message they couldn't miss. They, saw, they could see it. So Hosea demonstrated the message God gave and the people saw it, just like Ezekiel did that when he laid on his side for what, 390 days and after a couple weeks, people were probably wondering what's wrong with Ezekiel? And the same here with Hosea. So God told simply, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute and he did it. And he had three children and, and could be that one of them wasn't his own. And she then was unfaithful to him, and, he, and she went back into prostitution. And Hosea, in his great love, sought her back, found her back, and bought her. And uh, so Hosea demonstrated this message to the people. And it was, it was definitely an object lesson, and it was a living illustration. I mean, the, he, he had, after he went through this, he had a burden on his heart and he was ready to preach. And he had a lot of uh, messages that follow in the book of Hosea. But God was saying, I want your marriage to be an illustration. You know, Hosea uh, in, the, in the illustration was God and Gomer was Israel. And God was saying, you know, what happened to our marriage? What happened to our marriage? God says, you know, I still love you, but you don't love me in return. I loved you even when you were unfaithful to me. You know, the picture of marriage is all through the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. The it's a beautiful picture of the covenant relationship between God and Israel. In the Old Testament, it was, you know, God was the husband and Israel the wife. And that's what we're going to be, the that we're going to be looking at this morning. New Testament, it's Christ is the husband and the church is the wife, bridegroom and the bride. In Jeremiah, we have a verse that says, uh, and others as well, but turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, Jeremiah 3.14. Here it paints a picture of God married to Israel. And uh, in the New Testament, we have uh, in Ephesians, the uh, says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Again, Christ is the, uh, the, the uh, bridegroom and the church is his bride. We have the parable of the ten virgins. We have the uh, parable where Christ is coming back again for his bride. So there's pictures in the Bible that paint this picture of, the, of the, uh, this type, that marriage is a type. It's a picture of Christ and his church and God and Israel. And God is use, is, uses this covenant relationship of marriage to illustrate his relationship with us and us with him. Now, the marriage is the closest relationship, human relationship there is. You know, it requires faithfulness, it requires loyalty, it requires commitment, it, it requires mutual commitment. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship that you have to be so committed, you know, uh, that you're going to continue to love no matter what. And, you know, in vows, in our, in our wedding vows, it's, you always hear something like, as long as we both shall live or till death do us part. It's a lifetime commitment that's being made. And, you know, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And we all know how tragic 
unfaithfulnesses in marriage. It's tragic. And here, Hosea was called to demonstrate this awful picture. He was called to demonstrate the pain of an unfaithful spouse. He demonstrated the broken heart of God because of Israel's unfaithfulness. So the whole relationship between God and Israel is a covenant love. It's, it's a relationship that's built on a covenant. Israel's part of the covenant was loyalty. It meant to, for them to serve him only and to, uh, to be obedient to his commandments, and which we see they didn't do. And God's part was to look after them, uh, provide for them, protect them, which God did. But God wanted obedience. He wanted cheerful obedience, willing obedience, and that's what was missing. That's what was missing. The, his love was not returned. If we love him, we will obey him. And God still loved them, but there was no love in return. And God chose them. He expected them to be faithful. And uh, today, God expects us to be faithful to him as well. He requires, it's required that a man, a man be found faithful. It's not a suggestion, but it, he, uh, he expects us to be loyal and committed to him. Now, the book of uh, Hosea could be broken down into uh, uh, two or four different sections. The first section would be the first three chapters, and that is Israel's unfaithfulness illustrated. Israel's unfaithfulness illustrated. And it really talks about his personal life or his personal, his family. And then you could, uh, chapters four to seven would be Israel's sins condemned, and that's uh, his public life, his preaching. And uh, we are not going to spend a lot of time there, his ministry. And then we have chapters 8 to 10 talk about Israel's sins punished. And uh, that's also his preachings. And then Israel restored in chapters 11 to 14. So we're going to spend most of our time in the first three chapters looking at the uh, picture, a story of God's unrelenting love. And then we're going to finish up this morning in the, uh, the, the, in the end of the book with Israel restored in their last chapter, their call to repent. So Israel's unfaithfulness illustrated. Let's look at chapter 1. The first three verses sort of set the stage for the sermons that follow. So let's, we read verse 1. Let's look at verse 2. The, begin, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Take thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomar, the daughter of Diblin, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Judah, and I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it came to pass that the day... At that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lurumah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, for I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them. 
by the, by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, or by horsemen. Now when she had weaned uh, Lurahrama, she conceived, conceived and bare a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. So here God asks Hosea to do a very strange command. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. And uh, in order to illustrate my loyal love to them, my unrelenting love and their unfaithfulness to me. So it was a, it was a illustration here. And it says in verse two, it says, uh, from the take a wife of whoredoms of the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. There's the why, because they were departing from the Lord. And, uh, and he did in verse three, he, took, he takes her, he, he did it. He treats her as a wife, loves her, takes care of her. Now some say, well, God would never ask a young godly man to, to marry an immoral woman like this. And some say, well, maybe she, she became a harlot afterward. And some say, well, it's a dream or a vision allegory, but you know, none of that changes the meaning. It doesn't change the message of the book. It is a strange command, but it's to illustrate God's unrelenting love despite their unfaithfulness to him. You see, Hosea illustrates God and Gomar illustrates Israel. For the land hath committed great whoredom. Language to describe what it really was. So he went and he married Gomar. Now can you imagine the gossip that was going around? Did you hear? You know, the message God was giving was for them to see. They weren't listening, but they were looking. And, you know, they would, they would uh, it was a living illustration. And then in verse 3, uh, she bare him a son. Now, God was bringing the, the uh, children in on this family illustration. You know, and the names of the children indicate how God was punishing his people, was going to punish his people. So the first uh, child was to be named Jezreel. And Jezreel carries the meaning to scatter. God will scatter. He is about, God is about to scatter Israel and bring the northern kingdom to an end. And that happened in, in 722 uh, when Assyria came in and took them captive. But God says, name the first child, God scatters. And that's because that's exactly what I'm going to do because of your unfaithfulness. And then there's a second child that says she, she bear a daughter. Now this time it doesn't say she bear him a daughter, it just says she bear a daughter. So it's possibly not Hosea's child. And name her Lo-Rohama. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but it means uh, no mercy. So the Lo is no, so it's, it, it, it's a negative. And Lo-Rohama is mercy, so it's no mercy. So it's the Lord has come to an end of showing mercy to his people. The captivity was coming. And... <clears throat> So Hosea in his marriage, even the names of his children here were a living object lesson for Israel to see. So I had to think of the, the girl named No Mercy. You know, we named, like, I don't know if there's anybody here with a Grace or Joy or, you know, can you imagine No Grace? What's your name? No Grace. 
That's what's her name, no mercy. And uh, it meant like no mercy. It's like the opposite would be condemned or judged. And so that was, that was her name. And uh, these names had meaning. And then they had another child in verses 8 and 9. And that is uh, lo am I. <clears throat> and that simply means not, no, my people, not my people, not my people. Because Israel will no longer be recognized as my people, they're rejected. That's what, that's what they're re rejected. They're going to be taken away into captivity. Captivity is right around the corner. So these names represent a break in the covenant relationship between the Lord and Israel. So, and here, so uh, what's your name? Loami, not my people, or rejected. Rejected. So these names were abnormal and they stood out. And it's interesting, uh, Peter picks up on this verse quoted in the New Testament. First Peter says, which in times past you were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not, not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. First Peter uh, 2.10, quoted from Hosea here. So it was all about relationship. God was all about relationship. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That's repeated here in Hosea and it's repeated through the Bible. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That was God's heart. God wanted relationship. And this relationship was broken. And that's why God called Hosea to have this living illustration for them to see and uh, then in verse 10 and 11, something changes here. It says, yet, uh, you know, he's talking about uh, punishing them, and, uh, but, but you will survive. And he talks about uh, the sand of the sea, looking at Abraham's, pro the promise to Abraham. So I'm going to read uh, 10, 11, and uh, into chapter 2, verse 1. It says, yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it, it shall be said, you are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah, and notice the, the then, it's a future. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say unto your brethren, Amni, that means my people, and to your sisters, Ramah, mercy. You see, the things changed here. Uh, so the relationship between God and Israel and Israel and God had come to a crisis point. And, and uh, things couldn't keep on going like they, went, they were going before. And the Lord desires to say them to them again, ye are my people. And uh, your, my mercy is yours again. But there was something that needed to change before that could happen. And that was, there need, she needed to have a change in her conduct. Israel needed to change. There needed to be repentance. And I believe that this is talking about future restoration in these verses, that Israel did come back into God's favor after the captivity. Could have been now, but it was no repentance. Repentance is what was needed. Then in chapter 2, they're told, in chapter 2 and verse 2, the children are told to plead with their mother. She leaves the children and she goes back into harlotry. And the children are told to plead with mom, you know, tell her she shouldn't be doing this. And, and uh, to put away her whoredoms. 
And verse uh, 6 and verse, you know, chapter 2 explains what, why he's going to punish them. It's for her, their, her spiritual adultery. It's a call to repent. And verse 6, you know, God's going to make it hard for her. I will put a hedge in thy way. God put a roadblock until she decides to return. And God does make it hard for the transgressor. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So, uh, so we see here that she did, in verse uh, 7, she did come to her senses, it seems, a little bit. I mean, talking about, uh, and, and verse 7 says, And she shall follow after her lovers, they shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but they shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was, for it was better with me than now. And uh, so it seems like she did come to her senses somewhat, and like the prodigal son says in the pig pun, you know, pig pen, he says, I will go back to my father. He, there's something, and, and maybe this is the time when she got to this low point that God told Hosea to go and buy her back. But punishment was coming, and it talks about in these verses the punishment for all the days they served Baal, the punishment for Israel in verse 13 for all the 11 to 13. So I think we're going to go on, move on to verse 14 to 17. In chapter 2 in verses 14, we see God's emotion, God's feeling. We see God's unrelenting love. You know, in verse 13, he's talking about punishing her for her prostitution. And now it's, I will allure her back in verse 14. Let's read a few verses here in verses uh, 14. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, or husband, and thou shalt call me no more Bailey, master. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall be no more remembered by their name. And uh, so here we see that... Uh, that God has feelings towards his people. We see the justice and mercy coming through. You know, he first he's going to punish them. Now he's going to lure them back, and he's going to go and woo her back. You know, God, is the justice de requires that sin be punished, but the mercy, God's mercy is standing true. I will allure them back. God's unrelenting love is coming through. He's not letting up. It's a love that will not let go. It's God, that, that's God's love. And verse 14 says, I will bring them into a wilderness and speak comfortably to them. But the problem now was they weren't listening. They weren't listening. You know, in the wilderness, I believe the captivity, they listened. They listened. Sometimes it takes a captivity or a wilderness to get us to listen or a trial. <clears throat> But after the 70 year captivity, when they were, they were when, uh, after they were restored, and God gave them back their vineyards in verse 15. And, and it says how they could sing like after they left Egypt. That was a, uh, like when they left, they crossed the Red Sea on the other side, they had a song, and there would be a, a, they could sing again like after leaving Egypt. 
So it's talking about the future restoration here in these verses. And then it's, it talks about the Valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now the Valley of Achor was where Achan's son was stoned to death because of their sin. And God's saying here, I'm offering Israel the Valley of Achor as the only door of hope, as the door of restoration, a door of new opportunity. You know, uh, God is a... Uh, God wanted them to, uh, to repent, and uh, if they would, they could have experienced that now, but uh, that, would have, that was after, after they returned. They, uh, they see that that was the Valley of Achor as the only door of hope. So, and the captivity was first before that. So in verse 16, just moving on here, verse 16 says, uh, And in that day, that saith the Lord, thou shalt call me Ishi, and thou shalt no more call me Bailey. So there was two Hebrew words for husband, and uh, and they they're husband and master, and master is a name was a, a lot sounded right like the God name Baal. So after there was predicted here, after they return, there's going to be such a reaction to Baal worship that they won't use that word for husband. They'll, they will not use that word. And uh, as uh, they'll use the other word, Ishi, instead, and they will not use that word, Bailey, because of that reaction. There's a time coming when this relationship will come together again. God's saying, when I will feel like a husband to you again, and you will be a wife to me again. You can call me husband. You see God's heart. His, you can see, we can see God's unrelenting love and verse 17 says, For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they will be remembered no more by their name. So the, the, the people will be so cleansed from Baal worship, they won't even remember their, the, 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 the names. And when the people did return after they back from a captivity, they never fell into that adultery, uh, idolatry again. You know, they, uh, they didn't even remember the names, but they did fall in there may be another ditch of the legalism and the rules to avoid the idolatry, but we never see them. When after they returned, falling into the New Testament, they never fell back into Baal worship again. Then in verses 18 to 20, we see uh, five traits necessary for this covenant relationship. Uh, it talks about in verse 19, uh, and I will betroth thee into me in righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness, and in mercies. And I will even and betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And here it's talking about five traits that are necessary for this covenant relationship that God wanted. And in verse 20 it talks about they will return to the deepest level of relationship, and that is to know to know that is the deepest level of relationship they will return so we see this prophesied they will no longer be scattered but sown in their own land and we see that they, they did return and we can look at it today and if it's fulfilling today yet as Jews are returning to their homeland <clears throat> in verse 23 I will say thou art my people and thou shalt say thou art my God here we see God's unrelenting love for a restored relationship. That's what it was all about. God wanted this relationship restored and with his people. 
And he's using Hosea and Gomor as an illustration to show this. Now, in chapter 3, we have Hosea is told to go and buy her back. You know, the first, strain, the first command was strange, and, uh, but this one is too. He says, "Yet go yet. Go. Now, she left. She's back uh, out in the streets. And he said, go again. Go after Gomer and, uh, and, and buy her back. Even if, if she's enslaved in this prostitution, she was at rock bottom. God says, I want you to go and buy her back at the auction block. Hosea could have said, really? Really? After all the hurt and pain? You know, I can't do that. I had enough. And Hosea could have even said, the law doesn't prohibit that. You know, the law doesn't allow it. But the point is God is making is, I love you. You have broken the law, but I will still buy you back. I will still buy you back. You know, later on in, in uh, Hosea, God says, I am God. I am not man. I am God. God has an unrelenting love that is shown here in this story, uh, just like Jesus Christ. But so Hosea simply goes and obeys. He goes and buys her back at the auction block. Can you imagine paying the other man money? He takes her home and he forgives her and he loves her. It says in verse two that he paid 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of, homers of barley. So I can imagine this was all his money that he had and even the food in the pantry he paid it all. It shows that there was a price to pay. Home, uh, he had a, Hosea had a price to pay. And if we translate that, ye are bought with a price. There was an extreme price to pay. Jesus paid it all. Then in verse 3, it says, uh, and it says, I said unto her, thou, this is chapter 3, verse 3, if you have your Bibles open there. I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days, Thou shalt not play the harlot and not be as in, for another man, and I will also be for thee. So he's saying, be faithful to me, and I'll be faithful to you. Don't go back into harlotry. I bought you, you're mine. I love you, I forgive you. And doesn't, don't, can't we all hear Jesus say that? I bought you, you're mine. I forgave you. That's what Jesus. That's what. That's what he's. And and that's what Jesus is doing for us today. So he did it. Hosea did it. Now I imagine people looking on would have scratched their head and saying, "What's wrong with Hosea? What? Hosea must have been a kind." People would say, "Boy, Hosea was a real kind, loving man." That's not the point. The point is, it's about God. What a kind, loving, faithful, long-suffering God is. What a long-suffering God we have. You know, it says in Hosea 11, I'm God, I'm not man, I'm God. This book opens up the love of God and his love for us. It's, it's not normal. It's not a normal love. It's, it's an outstanding love. God is like the faithful husband in this story. He's the faithful husband to Israel. You know, God bought, chose Abraham. He, uh, he called Abraham. He promised him a great nation. He brought them out of Egypt, out of the slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai. And there he entered into a covenant relationship with them. And he asked them to be faithful to him alone. 
And that meant to obey the Ten Commandments. And he promised them, and to be faithful to him alone, and, to, and he promised them the promised land, a land of abundance, the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, they didn't do too good when they got there, and they fell into the idolatry. They served Baal, the Canaanite gods, and God could have ended the, that relationship. God could have ended the covenant, divorced Israel, and he probably he thinks about it, but in, he, instead, he pursues Israel. He pursues them. You know, if only they would repent over and over again. It's purely out of his love and compassion and faithfulness. We can't miss the father heart of God here that's full of mercy and full of love. God is the faithful husband. Israel is the unfaithful wife. If only they would repent. I believe it was in Amos where God, where he says, God speaking, I tried everything. I tried famine. I tried drought. I tried pestilence, like the pestilences, uh, uh, the, the plagues in Egypt. Yet they have not returned to me. Amos was appealing to them to seek the Lord and return to him. And that's what Hosea is saying too. God is saying through Hosea, it says it in chapter 10, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. Caft captivity was God's last resort. That's God. It wasn't his first, that God didn't want to do that. But his justice required it. His justice required it. So there's a lot that could be said, but we can't miss the, God, the father heart of God. You know, this is the story of the, uh, the first three chapters and then it goes into a lot of his preaching, which we're not going to look at this morning. And it talks about uh, uh, there was a little shallow repentance there, and it's mentioned as a as a as a as a, a morning cloud or a morning dew as a morning dew. So, but there's uh, a lot in the other chapters. I'd like to turn back to chapter 11 and just look at uh, we had we were looking at the 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 husband and wife analogy. In chapter 11, we have a, a father-son analogy, or father-child. Israel was when Israel was a child. So here, Israel is depicted as a child, and I think I'll, uh, I'm going to read the chapter and think about it. Think about God's emotions going back and forth. One time God's angry, and another time He's He's very full of mercy and broken-hearted and moved with mercy. It goes back and forth. And uh, so let's read. Verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And as, and as, they, as they called him, so they went from him. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, when they knew not that I healed them, I drew them with cords of, of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that would take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities, and shall consume his branches and devour them. Because, because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none of them at all will ex exalt him. 
Then verse, it changes here. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Admon? How shall I set thee as Zeboin? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to, to destroy Ephraim. For I am God, not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. They shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria. I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compasseth me about with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, yet Judah... But Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with the saints. So here, Israel is presented as a child. God is the loving father. And God raised his son, Israel, and did everything for him. Took him by the hand. Helped him to learn to walk, just like a father does. And when little Johnny stumbles and falls, God was there to pick him up. You know, um, but it says at the end of verse three, but they knew not that I healed them. And talks about the bands of love like the parent would do watching out for their children. But the son grew up and rebelled and turned on his father. You see God's emotions going back and forth. One time he's angry, he's ready to bring severe consequences. And he did, judgment did come. But the next moment we see God brokenhearted Moved with mercy and compassion. He's going to forgive the son he loves. Then he said, how can I give you up? My heart churns. All of my compassion is around, aroused. So you can see God's emotion going back and forth. But his judgment, his uh, judgment did come because they didn't repent. Then just a little bit in chapter 14 yet, we have the last call to repent. You know, God offers... Uh, God, it, it's laid out. <clears throat> it's laid out. It, 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 the title of my Bible says, Hosea begs Israel to come back. It's the last call to repent. And he tells them, uh, he says, O Lord, and O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saith, un, saith unto him. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously and we will render the calves of our lips asher shall not save us for we will not ride upon horses neither will we say any more to the work of our hands ye are our gods for in thee the father findeth mercy i will heal your backsliding i will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him i will be as the dew upon israel this is talking about future here i will be as the dew upon israel he shall grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as an olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They shall dwell under the shadow. They that dwell under his shadow shall return and they shall re revive us as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the, the vine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall go. What shall I do to thee? Uh, what, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is the fruit found. And then who is wise and who is, under, 
and, and, and he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressor shall fall therein. So here we see, he lays it out, repent. You have fallen by your own sin. He's calling on Israel to turn back. And he even tells them what to say in verse 2. It says, say these words, take away our iniquity and receive us graciously. So he's saying, you know, this is the kind of prayer that he wants to take away our sins, to come back with a uh, repentant heart. You know, it's easy to cry out in times of trouble, but it's harder sometimes to ask, what's the cause of the trouble? What's the cause of the trouble? And, uh, and the call here was to repent. And unfortunately, they didn't repent here. But God promises he's going to heal their backsliding, backsliding and love them freely. God offers grace if they repent. And then in verses 5 to 8, it talks about the healed uh, Israel. Describes her as a lush olive tree and deep roots, strong branches, offering shade and fruit. Uh, images of image of the picture God's promise to Abraham, and then the last verse is a very interesting verse. It's addressed to us. It's addressed to us, to the reader. <clears throat> Hosea's truth shared with the Northern Kingdom are for us today. It says, "Who is wise? He shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. For the transgressor shall fall therein." So Hosea's truth shared for the northern kingdom are for today. If we are wise, if we are prudent, if we have understanding, we're going to apply these truths to today. There's something here for us today. God's unrelenting love that we saw in the story of Hosea is, didn't change. God's heart is the same. If uh, it's for us, it's the same way. He desires a re restored relationship. So I, I don't know what your relationship with the Lord looks like this morning, but the call is return to me, return to me. Um, you know, uh, Hosea's living illustration lives on. It lives on. Just like God said to Hosea, you know, God saying to Israel through Hosea, what happened to our marriage is the same that he's saying today. Today it's, it's the engagement. We're in the engagement period we're going to be married the marriage supper of the lamb is to come but how's your engagement how's it going how is your love for the lord jesus are you in love with the lord jesus are you loyal are you committed are you obedient to his commands or does jesus have a broken heart uh seeing running after other things running after things that compete in our contentment with him so uh the, the answer is return to me. God expected them to be faithful and he expects us to be faithful today. Uh, it's not a suggestion, it's a uh, command. So the message is for you and I today. Hosea's living illustration lives on. How is your engagement with the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand together and uh, have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for the truths of your word. Help us to never miss the, uh, the, the story of your love for mankind.
how you bought us back after all, just that the story of Hosea and Gomer lives on, and we thank you so much for your unrelenting love to man today. Father, help us to be committed and loyal to you and in the day and age that we live. Father, we thank you for the congregation here at Waterworks. Pray that you'll be with them, and may they be a bright and shining light here in the community. We pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.